Ever since we did that episode three or four days ago, I just can't stop thinking about transcending and including, especially in the context of the scriptures. This Bible that we have, which we know um, is a compilation or a library of scrolls, it is not one book. It was. Uh, it does not agree with itself. Uh, we have many conflicting ideas of who God is, what God is like, the types of things that God commands. We have Joshua and Moses saying that God commanded them to eradicate entire people groups and even to rape women. Uh, we have scriptures in Leviticus where if your child obeys you, you are to put the child to death. Um, those things are in the Bible. And then we also have Jesus saying, bless your enemies. Uh, pray for those that persecute you. Turn the other cheek. If you even thought about wronging someone, it's the same as doing it. And we see him taking us out of literalism and into a more mystical kind of heart-based life. And all these things are contained within the Bible. And so many of us had issues. Um, those of us that really cared, uh, we wanted to understand. And we began running into issues when we would see something that did contradict. Or we would see something that just seemed inhumane, uh, potentially in the Old Testament, and inside in our heart, it would just feel like, man, there's no way a loving God would do that. Yet here it is in this Bible. And I've been told that this Bible is inerrant, that it um, has no flaws, it is infallible, and that if something is seemingly contradicting or is not adding up, that I need to seek the Holy Spirit and He will um, He will show me how it doesn't contradict. Um you know, I went to a Bible college that really changed my life. It brought me into a grace-based understanding of God where, um, you know, I grew up in very fear-based, under very fear-based teaching, uh, and we were always insecure. We were only as uh, good with God as our most recent behavior. So then if we acted up, we then lost our salvation, and I would fall asleep confessing my sins and begging for Jesus uh, to forgive me and not to send me to hell if I died in my sleep, if I died in a car wreck, not to leave me behind if the rapture came. You know, when I think back, I realize that those were abusive teachings. When I picture my 12, 13-year-old self desperately wanting to please God, um, sincerely wanting to please God, but but there was so much fear in the teachings that it, I never thought critically, like, why am I following this God if he's this much of an asshole, <laughs> if he's this obsessed with minutia, if he's he's really like he he has to think about all of humanity and everyone that's ever lived and all of creation and all of the multiverse, and yet he noticed that when I was playing basketball with my friends, I dropped an f bomb when we lost the game, or. I was disrespectful to my mom because she was controlling me in a way I didn't want to be controlled. Or uh, Really, my mom didn't do that. It was more my stepdad. Uh, if I got grounded, I used to get grounded for leaving the towel on the bathroom floor. You know, I'd have three straight weeks where I hung the towel back up. And then 
on the 22nd day, I would leave it on the floor accidentally. Maybe I was in a rush that morning and I would come home from school. My stepdad would ground me for a week. So then I'd be cussing. And not only would I be mad at him, then I'd lay down and remember how many cuss words I said and how angry I got. And then I'd become worried that I was going to hell, that God was watching. And he somehow noticed those things. But when there's fear... Fear ushers out critical thinking. So, and we only know what we know when we know it. And we can operate only from what we know when we knew it. So, I'm easy on myself now because I I wasn't thinking critically about the teachings and about the idea of God that had formed in my head by the time I was a teenager because I was fearful. So, I wasn't it wasn't until I got out of fear of this God, that these thoughts, these uh, these critiques started to come to mind. You know, if, if he's a loving father, will he do blank? When I was in Bible college and I was getting set free from a lot of the fear-based doctrines, my wife, uh, this is, I'm the type of guy that I need to understand it. I need to make sense of it. And so I wanted to know all the verses. I wanted to memorize the verses. When I I was very sincere, um, and so I was, tr- you know, when I was in Bible college, I would try to to memorize two verses a night. So, you know, most of the night, most nights in Bible college, Michelle, my wife, would fall asleep, and I'd be up another hour or so memorizing verses. And I probably memorized, I don't know, two hundred verses that way. Um, especially, you know, if I'm in a if I'm in a church and I'm preaching. You know, they'll, they'll just start coming to mind. And I can quote a lot of verses. And I used to listen to uh, the teachers at Bible college and just be so blown away by how, how they could quote these verses word for word. And so I, I did take pride in that. I wanted to be seen as a guy that knew a lot of, uh, as we used to say, the word. Um, and so um, I started to get set free. I just I say those things just to sh- just to say how sincere I am and was. But I was the type of guy that needed to make sense of it. I needed to know why in this Bible that I was reading and and trying to study every day in Bible college, there were so many different pictures of this God and caricatures and uh you know portrayals where he would just be so full of love and grace and forgiveness. He would be so fun turning water into wine when people were already drunk and making wine so good that people who were drunk could tell it was good wine. Now, that's got to be some seriously good wine because when you are already drunk, you don't care what the wine tastes like. You just want another glass. <laughs> um. You know, and then, but I grew up where if you had a sip of alcohol, you were going straight to hell, uh, you know. And so why were all these different ideas in this book? You may relate. I hope you relate. But my wife, she didn't need to know all that. Uh, for her, she didn't need to know the verses. She didn't n- need to know uh, the chapters. She had this simple thing that she called a God is good meter. And she would say, and this used to frustrate me because I was a Bible geek. <laughs> she used to say, if I imagine, you know, a loving father, 
and, and I hear a teaching, and I ask myself, would, would the most loving father or loving parent figure I can imagine do this? And if the answer is no, I don't care if it's in the Bible. I don't believe it. I do not allow it in my belief system. And now I see how wise she was. But at the time, I still believed that, that this Bible was a complete work without conflicting ideas, uh, you know, uh, this, this is what was happening. I, I, I saw conflicting ideas, but I also was being taught by, by these men at Bible school that I really revered that there weren't any conflicting ideas and that there weren't contradictions and that I shouldn't question why it says God is one way here and then another way there. And so, and then I was, you know, just have faith, just believe, we would hear. Um, you know, I had a couple meetings in the offices with professors where I would ask certain questions, um, and I was both told both times just to have faith and that I had too many questions. Uh, the same thing happened to my mother-in-law. One time a professor said, a person has zero potential until they are born again. And my mother-in-law was like, huh? And what's amazing is in a class of 200 people, she was the only one that thought that statement was off. And that just goes to show how powerful blind belief is. And this man is a good man. Uh, and man, when he is in the groove, he's one of the best teachers I've ever heard. But obviously that statement is, is complete bull. And what's amazing is when a student had a question... Um, rather than respect the student and talk it out, he would just dismiss them and say, just have faith. So Michelle didn't need the verses. She didn't need to make sense of it. But I think that I attract people that are wanting to make sense of it. And, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll go through, I want to go through some verses, some ideas on this podcast. But today I want to talk about this idea of transcending and including in the light of the scriptures. You know, um, recently, you may not be a sports fan at all, but this guy named Roger Federer um, just announced his retirement. And he's been a pro since like 98 or 99, and he's 41 years old. He's been trying to rehab his knee for a year and a half and us tennis fans were all hoping he would come back and maybe play at a high level one more time. But he, but he has realized, uh, I think in his statement, he actually said, my body is telling me that it's time. So he's listening to his body and he's retiring. And I was thinking about Federer because I'm 40 and I've been playing tennis since I was 14. So I love tennis and I love Roger Federer. And I was just thinking about this idea of including yet transcending. And, you know, Roger as a child was given this gift of tennis. And yet he he achieved the level that had been achieved before he existed, and then he transcended it. And then he created a whole new generation of, of tennis players that basically... Uh, he, he raised the baseline, no pun intended, of what, a, you know, say a top 10, top 20 tennis player needs to be. So the very best, the line of what the very best is, went up about five notches because of Roger Federer. So 
he was he received tennis, but then he but then he went beyond the tennis he had been exposed to. Think about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan received basketball, but then he went beyond where basketball had been before him. Serena Williams received tennis, Venus and Serena, and then they went beyond the tennis they received. Now, in the same light, Jesus received the Jewish scriptures, but then went beyond those scriptures. Paul received the Jewish scriptures and then went beyond them, as did John and Peter uh, and, and other New Testament writers. And so this is the point that I want to get across today, is that the writer, Jesus himself and the writers of the New Testament were not afraid to include yet transcend, however we are. What is interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't seem to have a belief that he cannot go beyond what was written before he came. Paul does not seem to have a belief that he's not allowed to go beyond what was written before he got a revelation. He, without hesitation, begins writing new revelation. Now, when Paul, I don't want to get sidetracked, we're going to revisit that. So, what's interesting to me is this is in direct contrast to us. Most of us were taught that the, Bi- the form of the Bible that we have, which is 66 books, which again is a library of conflicting scrolls that do not jive, um, written by different people, different levels of consciousness, illumination, different times in history with different agendas, um, some had a warlike concept of God, some have love. We see Joshua and Moses saying, let's go kill, God's telling us, uh, you know, even Saul, he's telling us to go kill everybody. Maybe leave some women and children alive, and then also God's telling us to rape the women, you know, keep the virgins as slaves. These things are in the Bible, and then you have Jesus coming uh, directly opposing those beliefs. So those things are both in the Bible, but which is why most of us find ourselves here on this podcast, I hope, because you're trying to make sense of it. But I want to I want us to, yeah, if you need to make sense of it, man, there is a certain amount of digging and studying that you need to do to find peace. When when I would have a weird feeling, I about a certain doctrine, that feeling wouldn't go away until I would go study it for myself. And I didn't understand that till about the fourth thing. And then it finally hit me when I would get that uneasy feeling, okay, this I need to go take a few months and dig this out. And, and I see that. When I would share at church, I would see that look on people's faces, that I was presenting an idea that I could tell was bringing them freedom, yet what they'd understood up to that point was also circling through their mind and they were trying to make sense of it and they had that worried feeling like, wow, this sounds great, but I don't know how I feel about it because I've heard this other thing my whole life. And so the answer for that uneasy feeling is to go study it out. Excuse me, drinking a lot of coffee and burping a little bit. So we were taught not to go beyond the Bible. So, 
you know, the Bible initially, the King James Bible had 80 books, not 66. It wasn't until the late 19th century that the Bible, uh, you know, the evangelical Protestant Bible had 66 books. The Catholic Bible still has 73 books. So let's let's just say this 66-book Bible that most of us Protestants, Protestants, denominational evangelicals had, let's just say it is the perfect version of the Bible. We were taught not to go beyond it. Anytime I would ask a question in Bible college, um, I would be told just to have faith and that to seek the Holy Spirit, and he would make sense of it. You know, it's interesting. I met this guy named Nick here in Ecuador, and we were sharing kind of our our Christian backgrounds. And he said we were talking about these types of things, like when we, we started to wonder as we became a little older and a little more thoughtful, maybe maybe removed from church, you know, maybe you were you were feeling guilty because you hadn't been to church for two or three years, but that's when you started to rethink things. And it's probably because you got removed from the fear, and then your critical thinking started to kick back in. But then guilt comes because you've been conditioned that if you question or doubt, uh, you shouldn't. So we, it traps us, and and this is where so many people are, and my it's where I was, and you know, and I have such a passion to to help people come through that. But I'm talking to Nick, and we're, we started talking about hell and sin nature and rapture and contradictions and inerrancy and all of these things that, that we had both uh, questioned and stuff. And he said that one time he was reading the Bible because he just believed, I'm supposed to read the Bible. And it had been a while since he'd read it. And he was reading the Bible, and he said, now, of course, it's all it's subjective when someone says the phrase and Holy Spirit said to me, but he told me and this cracked me up. He said, I was reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit said to me, you don't need to read this. Most of this is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I, I laughed out loud. I was like, what? And the reason I tell that story is not because I believe that the scriptures are bullshit. Um, but some of what's in the scriptures is bullshit, okay? God did not command people to go eradicate entire people groups and keep and keep virgins alive and, and have sex with them and then make them slaves and kill everybody else. You know, uh, God did not command any of that stuff. Um, perhaps those that wrote that believed he was or they really wanted to do that and so the way to justify that action is to say that their God told them to do that. Um, but try try the God is good meter. You know, try try Michelle's trick. Would would a loving father, a, a loving mother, command such things? No, no. Um, Jesus came with a very high level consciousness on the chart of human consciousness, the highest frequency. Um, because we all are vibrating at different frequencies. We're emanating frequencies, resonating with, with certain frequencies, and we have dissonance with other frequencies. So Jesus was operating at Christ consciousness or oneness, which is, uh, you know, human consci- on the human consciousness chart, it would be the number 1,000. 
So he brought a very high-level consciousness into fear-based Judaism. And the three lowest levels of human consciousness are fear, guilt, and shame. This is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious fundamentalists he was dealing with did not get him. Okay, there was too big of a gap between what a chasm between the, the, the frequency he was emitting and where they were at. This is why, you know, l- let, me, let me share this story. When I first started out as a pastor, um, we were just a Bible study. I wasn't a pastor. You know, I never wanted to be a pastor. I was more of a teacher, more of a digger, and then I present what I found, and, uh, you know, and I'm more passionate about concepts that bring liberation um, asking questions, those types of things. But we were just a Bible study, and we got up to about 20 people in this Bible study, and uh, a local pastor was letting us use his youth room very graciously. And this was 2014. And uh, this uh, a lady named Mandy, who is now our very best friend. Mandy and her, and her husband are my wife, Michelle, and I. Um, they're our very best friends. And Mandy comes up to me, and she had Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. And she said, hey, Jake, is it okay for me to read this? Okay, now I want you to realize this is 2014. I was still basically, uh, you know, Joseph Prince or Andrew Womack. That's where I was at. So you're you're under the New Covenant. Um, but I still had not questioned hell, rapture, you know, eschatology, sin nature, inerrancy, infallibility, contradictions, conflicting ideas of God all within the Bible. I hadn't touched any of that. All my message was you're not under the law. You're not under, you know, works-based or behavior-based religion. You're under grace. You are saved because Jesus behaved perfectly on your behalf. So you can be secure even when you misbehave because God doesn't see your behavior. He sees his, sees Jesus's behavior. Um you know, if if you've recited the sinner's prayer, or in my case, a hundred thousand times recited the sinner's prayer, because I didn't want to go to hell, so that's where I was. And and in Bible college, they told us whatever you do, stay away from Rob Bell. He's a heretic. So for some, for me, I was so bought in at Bible college, I listened. But other people, when you tell them not to do something. And it's funny because I'm usually like this, but at Bible college, I was so bought in. I just listened. I trusted the teachers and what they said, and I stayed away from Rob Bell. But she brings this book, Love Wins, and I see the author, Rob Bell, and and I feel all this um, panic come into my body because I had been conditioned that he was heretical, and I wanted to tell her, don't read that because it's heresy and this guy is you know he's he's off he's he's leading people astray he's heretical all the things i had been told yet i had not experienced rob bell for myself but was telling people to stay away from him you know this happens so often in you know fear-based religion so i didn't say no i just said i'm not sure and then i called my best buddy and I called my buddy, my best pastor buddy, and he said, dude, if you control her, if you tell her what she can and can't read, you're manifesting the very religion that we both have have uh, have gotten free from. 
So you can't do that. You have to trust she has her own Holy Spirit. And then if she starts reading the book and it's too much, she'll put it down because Holy Spirit will tell her to put it down. And I thank God I listened to him. You know, and then, so I didn't, I didn't, I just said, hey, you read what you want to read and you have your own Holy Spirit. And, and if it's life-giving for you, then it will be. And if, and if Holy Spirit thinks that it's not a good idea for you, he'll urge you to put it down. And that's what I said to her. And I thank God that I said that. And, you know, it wasn't maybe, it was probably 2016 or 17 that I actually read Love Wins for myself. And there was not one bit of heresy in Love Wins, if you haven't read it. Uh, It's not heretical at all. And it's extremely scriptural. And I believe most people that were telling people to stay away from Rob Bell, um, it was because there was a couple chapters where he talked about hell. Um, And when Jesus used the word Gehenna or Gehenna, which is the Greek word, but he was using the Aramaic word, obviously, but we have the scriptures in Greek. And and he was talking about how that is an actual valley outside of the city of Jerusalem, where in the Old Testament they would sacrifice children and and burn children to the false gods, Baal, B-A apostrophe A-L, and Molech. And this is even documented in in the books of in especially the book of Jeremiah, chapter seven, chapter nineteen, and that God called that an abomination. And when Jesus was talking about Gehenna, he wasn't talking about eternal conscious torment in the afterlife. He was talking about a real place. And he was warning of a real destruction of the city that was coming. So in the book, he did challenge the idea of eternal conscious torment, but he didn't even go that in-depth in it. And nothing he said, let me say it this way, everything he said was verifiable and true. Um, With just a quick study on Google. So, including yet transcending, Serena Williams was given the gift of tennis and she included the level of tennis she had been she that had existed before her but then she went beyond she didn't have a belief that i can only play as well as the top women players that have lived before me that have gone before me roger federer michael jordan did not have a belief that they can't go beyond what's been done before and jesus christ and paul did not have a belief that they cannot go beyond what was written before, however we do. Why is that? It's interesting because Jesus went to temple. You know, he was a man born under the law, sent to redeem those born under the law, which is not you and I. We've never been under the law. We never need a redemption. We've never even been in a covenant. And that, let me do that in another episode. So, I know I'm dropping a bomb there, but... I'll, I'll get into that maybe next episode. Um, so why do you have the idea that you can't go beyond the scriptures? It's because it's been programmed in your mind. It's not because it's true. The New Testament itself is an attack on the belief that you can't go beyond what's written. Paul literally wrote, and what when he was writing... He didn't know what he was writing was going to become canonized and be packaged and compiled and given to us 
centuries and centuries and centuries later and that we were going to be told we couldn't go beyond what what he had written. You know, even Paul has conflicting ideas in his letters because he's he's a, he's not perfect. He's a human being channeling the revelation he believed he had gotten from Jesus. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, whether in the body or not, I don't know, but man, I was caught up in this realm uh, and and I was shown things that I can't even describe and and it's not lawful for me to utter some of the stuff I saw. You know, having lived in in Ecuador in South America for 11 months and having experienced plant medicines, it honestly sounds like Paul uh, perhaps had a psychedelic experience. And, you know, uh, I hope that idea doesn't challenge you too much. But to me, it's really fun and exciting to think about because when I was on plant medicine, I absolutely experienced God. I absolutely experienced the divine, and I was shown things and given clarity that I didn't have before that moment. Um, But that also happened just, you know, from Holy Spirit or my heart or whatever. So the New Testament itself is new writing going beyond what existed before it. So Paul had no belief that he wasn't allowed to write new scriptures. First of all, he didn't know he was writing new scriptures. He thought he was he had his immediate audience in mind and that's all. But they but his writings, you know, are given to us and we're told their scripture. So let's say they are scripture. Jesus was told that the Torah, the Torah, Torah, however you want to say it, were the scriptures. And yet, not only did he go beyond them, he he directly contradicted them in the Sermon on the Mount and in his everyday life, even in healing on the Sabbath. So, you know, with, with the adulterous woman, you know, according to the law, she deserved to be stoned and so did the man she was committing adultery with. Yet, no one was stoned. He found a higher way. He said, okay, guys, whichever one of you guys has got no, quote, sin in your life, why don't you go ahead and throw the stone? You know, so he, exposing hypocrisy, exposing that we're all really the same, we're all struggling with this or that, and we shouldn't be throwing stones at each other, because if I investigate your life, I'm going to find, quote, sin. And if you investigate my life, you're going to find, quote, sin. So why don't we root for each other instead of trying to kill each other with rocks? <laughs> what, what, what an idea that would be. So he found this higher way, and that's how he lived, because he was operating at a, a very high-level consciousness. And he was trying to help humanity ascend. And part of what he did was he did transcend, go beyond, contradict what was written before he existed. So as I wind down, think about when Jesus says, greater work shall you do than I. You know, in the, in the charismatic world where I came from, it, that was always interpreted in the light of miracles, signs, and wonders. But put it in the light of the fact that Jesus had zero belief he wasn't allowed to go beyond what was written before he came. Put it in the light that he brought a higher level. He, he went 
in he was implanted into fundamentalist religion while at a higher level consciousness and operating in love. So he would try and connect with the people in the fundamentalism, but he didn't intend to for them to stay there. He was if those that were open to his frequency, those who, as he said, had ears to hear what he was saying, they would come along with him and he would lead them in an exodus out of fundamentalism, but he met them in it. So if you're going to do greater works, and I'm going to do greater works, that means we are empowered to meet people in whatever form they're in, not with the goal of changing them or leading them out or convincing them to believe exactly what we believe. We're just living life. Jesus literally got up, started walking around town, and, and stuff would happen, and he would bump into people. And because he was in Jerusalem, a lot of the time, he would bump into these religious fundamentalists. The same's going to happen with you or I as we just live our life. And so we operate, we're going to be operating in a higher frequency than a fundamentalist. But if we're operating in love, we're not trying to, to change them or get them to see what we see. If they're not even asking questions, they don't even see there's anything that needs to be changed about their their belief structure or how they see God or anything. So it's unwise for us to expend energy trying to change them. But you might have one out of 20 people ask you, uh, you know, you seem lighter. You seem less burdened. What's changed in your life? You know, they might ask you, why haven't you been to church in three years? Like, what's going on? They might ask you, not that going to church is bad. So many good churches. They might ask you something that is a signal that they may have ears to hear what you carry. So as you, as we wind down, I want you to know, just to, re, just to reiterate, there is no reason for us to believe we can't go beyond what is written. First of all, initially the Bible had 80 books, the first printing of the King James, then it had 73 now the Protestant Bible has 66, yet the, yet the Catholics still have 73. So which is the right Bible, number one? And number two, Jesus and Paul, the two main guys that we, quote, get our doctrines from, absolutely, observably, did not have a belief that they couldn't go beyond what was written. So, greater works shall you and I do than Jesus. So our baseline can be we are 100% permitted to challenge what is written. To, to uh, Jesus saw the scriptures as a launching pad, not a ceiling. And Paul saw the scriptures as a launching pad, a source of wisdom and revelation, not a ceiling beyond which he was not allowed to go beyond. You know, sometimes you have to take the ceiling off to see what Jesus is really up to. You know, think about the paralytic man. They had to remove the ceiling to get to Jesus, okay? Jesus is operating in a very high-level consciousness. Um, so if we're going to catch what he's up to, we need to take the ceiling off, not reinforce the ceiling. And in fundamentalism, 
you will see this theme that the ceiling is reinforced. Don't go beyond the ceiling, whatever the ceiling is of the man or woman preaching um, or, or putting forth the ideas, the admonitions, telling you don't go beyond this ceiling right away. Fundamentalism. Whether that person identifies as a fund- fundamentalist or not, that is a fundamentalist belief that there's a ceiling beyond which you can't go. Sometimes you go beyond the ceiling and you're like, ooh, that wasn't wise. I actually want to come back down a little bit. It's not always just, you know, punk rock tearing down the system. Some, but, you know, following Jesus is a life of questions and increasing consciousness and following him as he continuously meets you in your thought structures and where your mind is, and he exists with you there while also, as if you're open, he's going to continue exodusing you out and taking you higher and take you into, taking you into more clarity. But as you get into the greater clarity, you include where you were before. You, you're grateful for it because you wouldn't see what you see now without what you saw before. So God bless you guys. See you next episode. I'm loving being back on this podcast, and I really sincerely hope that you got something out of it.